1: This is CLNS Radio, the home of Internet Sports Talk Radio. Bye. Pierce, loses it? To Avery Bradley, corner three. Good night, everybody. So what? Avery is not afraid. You just won.
0: Looks like I'm not gonna miss the next one.
1: Terry push pass for Pierce. Steps away from Wilson Chandler down the right side. Leaves his feet. The shovel pass back out to Terry for three. Got it.
2: Right back at you. <laughs> what well, makes you laugh? Makes you cry.
3: And now, welcome to the Celtics Beat with Daniel Baker.
2: Thank you, Daniel Baker. What do we have here on a special Saturday afternoon edition of Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio? I am Matt Rury, and I am glad to be here filling in for Daniel. And I'm glad to be here for the next hour with with you guys out there listening on CLNS Radio. And I'm especially glad to be here with Mr. Rich Conti, who is going to be alongside me for the full hour. Rich, how's it going?
3: It's going well, Matt. Thanks for having me.
2: Yeah, man. I mean, you're pretty much having me, really. This is <laughs> more your show than it is mine. Uh, of course, Daniel was unavailable today, so uh, we got me to uh, you guys got me to come in here and, and sort of lead the way if if I can. So I hope I do him some justice here on the show. Uh, we do have a full slate of topics to talk about. Of course, as you guys do pretty much every week, uh, we're going to start out with some Celtics stuff. It is Celtics beat, and I want to let everybody know that our we we do have a special guest uh, that will be calling in in about 20 minutes. It is a, a NBA draft expert uh, from ESPN, Mr. Jeff Goodman. So we are going to be <clears throat> very happy. Excuse me to talk to him, aren't we, Rich?
3: Oh, absolutely! Looking looking forward to talking a little bit about the uh, 2014 draft, which you know may play an important part in the Celtics' future. I think they're surprising folks a little bit right now uh, in, in the playoff hunt, but we'll we'll see how things turn out uh, in April or May.
2: Yeah, so there's a lot of different things to talk about uh, with with Jeff, and as far as draft talk, we're going to kind of keep it to to that with him and discuss. The different scenarios and whether uh, he believes in this whole T word that I don't like to say on C L N S radio. Uh, so uh, we're, we'll get we'll get into that with him a little bit. But first, uh, Rich, we're going to start talking about the the big reunion week here for the Boston Celtics. Not only did they see Doc Rivers this week, but before that, they saw uh, Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce. So they, they came back to get the Knicks last night. They lost both of those those games. Tuesday, Wednesday, first against Brooklyn in Brooklyn and then at home against uh, the Clippers when Doc Rivers came back to town. But aside from the game talk right now, what was your impression uh, on reunion week in general?
3: Yeah, you know, I think most folks had uh, this week circled on their calendars when the schedule came out earlier in the uh, summer. And um, you know, it didn't disappoint. Um, you know, it it got off to a good start uh, over the weekend with that, you know, really tremendous win over the next 41 point win, and then of course, the emotional games against the uh the Nets and the Clippers, yeah, you know, the return of KG and Pierce uh for the Brooklyn Nets and then of course uh the big return to Boston uh by Doc Rivers and uh, the reception that he got. You know, I thought um you know Celtics dropped both of those games but um you know given the the pomp and circumstance surrounding them I I don't think that's uh surprising. You know both teams are expected to be contenders and the Celtics are kind of using them as as measuring sticks and it was really interesting for for me to see that uh, you know Pierce actually played against the Celtics in Brooklyn the other night, you know he went out fairly recently with a broken bone in his hand, mm-hmm. and I was really surprised to see him you know come back and play against Boston. I almost wonder if he you know rushed back just to you know play against the Celtics,
2: yeah, and they brought him in off the bench, and uh, I think I saw a stat that it was only the third time in his career that he had come in off the bench uh in 700 something games. So it's uh, it's it's very impressive that Paul Pierce has, has done that, and, and I mean, the reason I mentioned the bench thing is because what you just said, he may have rushed it back a little bit, and if he did, uh, he's probably not going to be thrust right into the starting lineup. Now, not to say I know what Jason Kidd is doing out there in Brooklyn, because I'm not sure anyone really does at this point in the season, but... Uh, that would be my thinking. That is, if you usually in the NBA, when you bring a player back a little too soon, uh, he doesn't just go back to his regular minutes immediately, even if he is healthy.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And and I think uh, he also came off the bench the next game against the Clippers. And uh, I think yep. the stat was that was the first time in his career that you know he came off the bench in, in back-to-back games. And you know, you, you know, I think Pierce kind of you know came into this season with the Nets really, you know hoping to be that that glue guy for them. And, you know, they've got guys like Deron Williams to run the offense. They've got Joe Johnson who can fill it up. They've got Brooke Lopez down low. And I, I think Pierce is really looking to play that Uh, you know uh, uh, jack of all trades Swiss army knife role and and it kind of showed the other night against the Celtics I think uh, you know I I think in the first half he didn't have any points I'm not sure what he finished with but you know he certainly wasn't looking for his offense but you know he was facilitating the ball movement looking to play some 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 tough defense so I think you know that team's really struggling to to figure out how the pieces fit and really what what their identity is.
2: Yeah, that team is definitely struggling, and there's, it's no skin off my back or our back, backs, you know, <laughs> because whatever wherever their draft pick goes, uh, Atlanta's probably going to take it if Atlanta continues on in the direction that they're going. They will probably take Brooklyn's uh, pick if – well, I, I should say they will most definitely take Brooklyn's pick if things end up the way they are right now. And in that case, the Celtics will get Atlanta's pick this year. However, I'm looking further down the line. If Brooklyn's this bad this year, it's going to take them uh, – some time i think to to bounce back i wouldn't expect them to be a team that bounces back immediately so we're not really talking about the nets so much today but since it is reunion week here the end of reunion week we decided to hit on them a little bit but the point i'm i'm trying to make is that they're the, as bad as they can be that's that's what i want them to be really okay. bad in the in the future years you know yeah,
3: absolutely, and you know it's not out of the you know the realm of possibility. How great would it be if the Celtics actually squeaked into the playoffs either by virtue of winning the Atlantic Division or, or nabbing an eighth an spot, and both Atlanta and Brooklyn miss the playoffs and end up in the lottery? You know, it's Atlanta. You know, looks like you know, unfortunately, as as that East is struggling, that, that, that they're a playoff team. But who knows? One injury, uh, you know, Al Horford's known to be a bit injury prone. If 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 he went out, if Jeff Teague goes out, if Paul Millsap goes out, that team's probably a lottery team. And and you've also got uh, Danny Ferry, you know, who's looking to build the team for the future. So not out of the realm of possibility that they could both be lottery teams and, and the Celtics would, would be in a really good position then with letting somebody else effectively do the losing for them.
2: All right, Rich, before we move on to Doc Rivers really quick, uh, I just got an email telling me some breaking news. And speaking of emails, if you want to get breaking news and all the news on CLNS Radio, you should uh, text CLNS fans to 22828, and that will sign you up for the e blast. So definitely check that out, and it'll, you'll find out all the great stuff that's happening here on CLNS Radio. Again, that's text CLNS, F A N S, to 22828. Uh, and yes, they do have some breaking news, some real actual breaking news on Rajan Rondo. Um apparently he has been cleared to uh he's he has full medical clearance to practice and play I suppose, but um he's not expected to return in December. So what I say to you Rich is I'm going to toot my own horn here. I called this a few weeks ago saying that it would take him at least uh, a week or two to come back. Once he gets full medical clearance. So uh, this is a great sign, though. And the fact that he won't be back in the next 16 to 17 days is is not a big deal with me. We'll see him in 2014. And uh, that's this is this is a good thing. I fully expect Rajon Rondo to be playing in January. What do you think about that?
3: Yeah, that's fantastic to hear. I knew he was going to see Dr. Andrews uh, yesterday, and so it's great that good news came out of that meeting. I think when folks heard he was going to visit Andrews, there's a little bit of trepidation, but it seems like he passed uh, with flying colors. And and I'm with you. Uh, don't rush him back. Let him get into game shape. Let him you know shake the rust off on the practice floor. December's a easy month in terms of the schedule for the Celtics. I think even without Rondo, they could come out of this month at at or around 500. And, you know, bring Rondo back and, um, you know, see what you've got with this team, you know, between January 1st and the uh, trade deadline in mid-February and and decide whether you're a buyer or a seller or both.
2: All right. And in case people don't believe me, that's not just me making it up. That's from Baxter Holmes of the Boston Globe. He's a great reporter for the Globe. So uh, he says Rajon Rondo has received full medical clearance from his doctor. And Brad Stevens is the one that does not expect him to return this month. So while I say he probably won't be back in December, uh, as uh, Baxter is reporting, uh, it's Brad Stevens saying that. So who knows? Maybe maybe Rondo says, hey, I'm ready to play on uh, New Year's Eve. And he wants to play that afternoon game uh, for the Celtics there on, on December 31st. That would be quite a, quite a welcome surprise to a lot of people. And uh, that sort of fuels some, some talk about some other topics later in the show, because... We're, talking to, we're going to be talking to Jeff Goodman uh, from ESPN about whether the Celtics are too good for their own good right now. And, of course, right, if Rajon Rondo comes back, uh, that will make them even better. But I do want to quickly, before Jeff calls in, uh, get to some Doc Rivers talk here, Rich, and uh, to continue the reunion week theme to open the show. He got a standing ovation when he was announced as the L.A. Clippers head coach. I'm not surprised by that at all. Um, I was in attendance. I did not give him a standing ovation. I didn't boo him either. I was just very neutral. Uh, Going into the game, I just felt that uh, he he didn't really deserve a standing ovation necessarily, although in hindsight, he did give a lot to the Celtics in his nine years, and uh, I was glad to see the crowd react that way. However, when he first walked out of the locker room and sort of walked towards the Celtics bench and was saying hello to their trainer, Ed Lucert, there were some boo birds in the crowd, so... Uh, Not everybody's happy with Doc Rivers around here. Yeah, there
3: was definitely a smattering of a few boos, uh, especially if you were listening for them. Um, You know, I I don't know entirely what to make of it. I'm I'm a little bit uh, torn. On the one hand, you know, you have to recognize Doc for his contributions. You know, he was a big part of the rebuilding effort that led to the championship in 2008. Um, I I thought he matured greatly as a coach during that championship season. And, frankly, the the years that followed that were challenging in a lot of ways with, with the injuries that the team was suffering with you know having to balance you know the the reliance on guys like Pierce and KG with developing some of the younger players like Perk and and Rondo so you know, he he did a lot for the franchise and I think that deserves to be recognized and, and appreciated and I think you know most fans do on the flip side you know it, it, it's undeniable that the way he left um left a bad taste in a lot of folks mouth I, you know I don't begrudge a guy wanting to um Put himself in a in a better position. You know, frankly, it, it was a promotion. He's running the show, uh, such as it is out out in the Clippers. You never know with Donald Ster- Sterling, so it, it was a promotion from that perspective. And you can't you know you can't begrudge a guy that. But at the end of the day, own up to it and just say, hey, this was a better situation for me. It's a promotion for me. I, I need to take this opportunity to, as uh, Bill Parcells once famously put it, to to shop for the groceries and not yeah. cook the meal. But, um, you know, I, and nobody would begrudge him that. But instead, you know, he, he, he seemed to want to paint it as a case of, of Ainge running him out of town or being this kind of mutual decision when the reality is, He's the domino that set off the teardown. I think if he was coming back to Boston, there's no way the trade with the Nets happens. You know, I'm, I'm glad it actually played out as it did. I think the Celtics are in a great position moving forward with all the assets they got back. And of course, you know, being able to pull off a major coup as far as I'm concerned, landing, you know, a, a bright young basketball mind, probably the most, you know, brightest young basketball mind in Brad Stevens to, to come in and replace Doc. But, you know, it, the situation is what it is. And, and he quit on the franchise. Um, um, you know, maybe for a, a good reason in that that it was a promotion, but just, you know, I, I think folks would have been a, a lot more understanding if he just kind of um, owned up to what was actually happening instead of trying to, you know, um, come out of it, um, you know, having his cake and eating it too, which is, seems to be what he tried. I think that, that left a lot of folks unhappy.
2: Yeah, and I don't blame those people, but uh, I also am not going to stand up and – Give Doc Rivers a standing ovation, like I said. So yep. uh, he, he gave a lot to the organization. He got that championship out of, out of those players. And you can argue whether he was a big factor or not. People will say that Tom Thibodeau was a bigger factor as far as coaching is concerned with him. Uh, but ultimately, I think that that was a, a players-won championship, and that team came together on the court. And uh, it, that's, that's why they won the title, not necessarily coaching. The coaches obviously get, put them in that position to win, but ultimately – The players won the thing, so Doc Rivers, take him or leave him as far as I'm concerned. He's a a great coach, but I think Brad Stevens is going to be a great coach as well. So moving on, we have uh, some discussion we're going to do here about Mr. Jordan Crawford, Rich. I mentioned that uh, Rondo is medically cleared. He's going to come back. That's going to put a damper on Crawford, you would think. So my first question to you is, what do you do with Crawford when Rondo comes back? Uh, And then we'll throw out some of the stats that he's had over the past couple of weeks, because he's been on fire except for last night.
3: Yeah, I mean Crawford to me is the most fascinating story so far this season. I mean, you know, this guy you know, was a kind of a lightning rod for criticism, you know, throughout his career in terms of being a selfish player, a little, you know, kind of bit of a no conscience shooter, a guy who you know can generate some offense for you when it's going well, but when it when it's not you know, he doesn't bring anything else to the table. And then all of a sudden he's the one, you know, running the offense here in Rondo's absence. He's playing decent defense and he's he's making big shots and he's playing within himself. And, you know, that, that to me is just, you know, the the biggest storyline of the season. And now you add in the layer of, you know, Rondo's imminent return. And what does that mean for his role? And, and, you know, does that, you know, kind of, put a, a, a damper on his development in terms of, you know, he he looks at maybe moving sliding into a six man role as a as a demotion, um or does he kind of embrace it and, and and you know again continue to play with himself. I think that's gonna be one of the most interesting stories over the next couple of months. And then then you even layer in another dimension, you know, clearly there's a group of guys on the on the team that, you know, Ainge is is not looking to move unless it's part of a deal to bring in an impact player. You know, guys like Bradley, guys like Jared Sullinger, you know, guys like Green, I think, and and Kelly Olenek are part of the future of this team. And unless Ainge is going to bring back a major piece, he's not going to deal them. On the flip side, you've got guys like Humphreys and Wallace and probably Lee that, that the Celtics are, you know, actually eager to move and, and are really looking for, a, you know, a, a good trade partner. And then in the middle, you've got guys like Brandon Bass and, more importantly, Jordan Crawford, where it could go either way, right? They could be part of the next, you know, uh, you know contending Celtics team, or they could be somebody you, you move. So it's really going to be fascinating how this plays out over the next, you know, 8 to 12 weeks.
2: Yeah, and Crawford, like I said, has been on on fire recently. So last night he, he did, wasn't uh, as good as he has been. He, he was actually terrible last night. He was 0 for 8, 0 for 5 from 3, uh, and only had uh, 6 assists, which is actually a pretty good number for him. But overall, over the last two weeks, he really has been on fire. He's shooting almost 40% from the 3-point line, uh, and that includes last night. So considering that he missed 5 threes last night, that number was over 40% before that, uh, he's averaging six assists a game, so right on it there. Uh, but the thing that impresses me the most is the 18 points, and he's just been scoring at will. And like you said, when he's on, he can be a good player. But last night he sort of reverted back to that uh, that player of old where he just chucks up shots and he is inconsistent. All right, uh, Rich, we are going to uh, take a quick break here because we are going to Come back with ESPN draft expert Jeff Goodman and talk about some draft stuff with him. Uh, so let's uh, go do that. This is Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio. We will be right back.
1: Hey, this is Mike Fay from Mike T. Just reminding you about all of the great stuff we have right here on CLNSRadio.com. Even though the Celtics may be in the offseason, our Celtics postgame show will be back in better than ever when the boys in green take the parquet again. And until then, stay with CLNS for outstanding coverage of the Red Sox and Paw Sox, plus we still have our outstanding weekly shows. Tuesday night at 7.30, it's the Boston Sports Connection, hosted by CLNS content manager Sean Backy. One hit away from a perfect game, and he was dealing on Saturday. On Wednesday, Brian Langford brings you the evening score at 8. I always tell you, yeah, I'm not scared to go into it. I'll go completely into it. And tune in Thursday nights at 9 for NBA for Life with Pat and Wall. The Pacers win games when they go inside to David West and Roy Hibbert don't forget, you can call into our live shows at 347-215-7771. And if you missed the live broadcast, you can download us on iTunes. And there are even more awesome podcasts available. Check them all out on clnsradio.com. Hi, everyone. It's Ty Ray from King of the Court and the Celtics postgame show. clnsradio.com is rapidly expanding, and you can be a part of it all. Join the CLNS radio community today. Register as a CLNS member. When you join, you'll get your very own blog page and profile. And signing up is so easy, you can even use your Facebook page to do it. While you're at it, text CLNS fans to 22828 to join our e-updates community. That's CLNS fans, one word to 22828. And don't forget, you can always chat and become a part of the conversation on our message board. That's at clnsradio.com backslash forum clns radio is getting bigger and better every day and we want you to be right there with us celticsblog.com blogging since 2004 and leading an outstanding team of contributors jeff clark is the most distinguished celtics blogger on the web celtics blog features a team of journalists and locker room reporters that provide celtics fans the most unique thoughtful and in-depth commentary online There's a bunch of ways to interact with the number one community of Celtics fans, Friday fan posts, fan forums, and the most popular live game chat room. CLNS Radio is proud to be a content partner of Celtics Blog, and Celtics Blog simulcasts the CLNS Celtics postgame show following every single Celtics game. And that's not all. CLNS and Celtics Blog join forces this season to bring you The Garden Report, the only HD postgame show shot live on the parquet floor at TD Garden. Check it all out today at celticsblog.com.
2: This is Avery Bradley of the Boston Celtics, and you are listening to CLNS Radio.
1: CLNSradio.com, the home of Internet Sports Talk Radio.
2: All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back here live on CLNS Radio. Uh, this is Celtics Beat. I am Matt Rury, and uh, my co-host today well, I'm really his co-host, if you will, is Rich Conti. And like I mentioned before the break, we are coming immediately back from break with our special guest today. Uh, it is ESPN draft expert, draft yeah, NBA draft analyst, uh, Jeff Goodman. Jeff, thanks for calling us today. We appreciate it.
0: No problem, guys. Thanks for uh, having me on.
2: Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, let's just dig right into this and get this out of the way. Uh what do, you, what do you think is happening here as far as the draft is concerned? Um, the, uh, the big five prospects that you always, have always known about, Wiggins, Parker, Randall, Smart, Exum, those guys are, are playing pretty well. They're, they're sort of getting into their groove. Uh, but there are a, a couple other names that are coming out, or a handful of other names anyway. Is this draft – class getting deeper as we see the season go along?
0: It's really strong at the top, or certainly a lot stronger than it's been in recent years. You know, top six, seven players, um, and you're starting to see some other guys emerge as well. It's a a stronger, deeper draft. I'm not sure if there's a, you know, LeBron, a Kevin Durant, a Chris Paul, somebody of that nature that can completely change your franchise. Uh, I think Andrew Wiggins is a guy that we'll have to wait and see because his upside is so high. Uh, I love Jabari Parker from Duke. I think he's a guy that can be a, you know, a seventeen and seven guy uh, in the league pretty quickly, and, and help be a, you know, I, I think there's a lot of number two guys. Uh, I'm not sure. Again, I think Jabari could be a Paul Pierce type of player in terms of his impact.
2: Rich, you have anything for him right now?
3: Um, yeah, a couple other names that I see kind of creeping into the the conversation with kind of um, are you know guys like Joel Embiid in in Kansas, the the big guy, and then another name I'm starting to hear is uh, Zach Levine, a point guard from um, UCLA. I mean, do did, did any of those guys realistically have a chance to kind of crack into that upper group with the uh, the five that we've already mentioned?
0: I, I think it's two right now. I think there's a you know it's Andrew Wiggins and Jabari Parker. T- Parker, to me, are one and two. And then there's a next tier, and and that next tier is, you know, Julius Randle, a a 6'9", 250-pound physical specimen, a freshman at Kentucky. Joel Embiid, who's a skilled seven-footer at Kansas. Dante Exum, who you guys mentioned earlier, is kind of a combo guard from Australia who looks to be going to the league. Uh, He may still talk a little bit about going to college, but I think – From everything my sources have told me, he's leaning towards going to the NBA draft. You obviously have Marcus Smart. You have Aaron Gordon at Arizona, who's kind of a combo forward right now. Uh, Noah Vonley. So there's a lot. Zach Levine, I think, is fighting his way from behind. He's shot the ball extremely well so far. He's a guy a lot of people didn't know much about, UCLA freshman, really athletic wing. You know, he could climb into that mix. Uh, We'll see. It's still a long season for a guy like that. But I think there's probably again, you know, Wiggins, Parker, Randall, Embiid, Exum, Smart, to me are the clear top six today. And then there's another tier of you know Aaron Gordon, Noah Vonley, Willie colley Stein, a seven foot shot blocker from Kentucky. And we haven't really talked about some of the other you know if, if there are some other international guys. They could maybe crack the top 10, but you know, I, I, again, I think the top six is where the draft is at. And, and I think that's where you get scared right now. If you're a Boston Celtic fan, because uh, frankly, right. they're nowhere near that top six.
2: Right. Yeah. And Jeff, I was going to say, people out there listening might be thinking, well, why are you guys talking about the top five or top six? Because uh, if the Celtics continue to play the way they've been playing and the rest of the East continues to be terrible, yeah. uh, they are not going to even be in the lottery and they will be picking from the middle. So Uh, Are there players out there in the middle or do you, do you think the Celtics may be able to to trade up uh, in this draft? Of course, they'll be looking to do something like that, but first are there players that you might see in the middle that could contribute to this team next year uh, if everybody else is healthy and still around?
0: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. There's guys in the middle that, and Danny Inge has done a great job of evaluating guys over the years. He's out there. uh, He's, that's probably one of his biggest strengths, to be honest. But, you know, the other thing is, for Celtics fans, you're still 11-14, and 14, okay? You're, it's not like right now you're, you're, you know, 10 games in front. I mean, if you look at where, let's say, right. Brooklyn is today, you're, you're three games, basically, or two games over Brooklyn. Uh, you know, the Knicks, they look like a train wreck right now. You're only about four games ahead of the Knicks, who are towards the bottom of the Eastern Conference. So all it's going to take all it's going to take is one bad stretch, you know, one uh you know, one five game losing streak and you're going to go from where you're I think what are they? The number 4 seed right now in the east.
2: Mhm.
0: Yep. Something like that. You but, yeah, go but from with the, a terrible record. <laughs> yeah, you could go from the 4 seed to a team that is in the equation for one of the, you know, top draft picks in the span of 2 weeks. So that's why you know they still need to be talking draft and you know, obviously with, with Rondo coming back, how does that change the the entire complexion of this thing? Remember, their their record last year with Rondo, I believe, I could be wrong, was worse than it was without him. Yeah, so, I think that, again, that absolutely is correct. Something to think about. That's all. I listen, I'm not the biggest Rondo fan. I never have been, uh just because again, I think he he over dribbles, uh he's not a great shooter. I don't think he defends like he used to. He's a very good player when he wants to be, and he's not a leader. And that's going to be the key for this team is how do they, how do they react? How do these young guys react uh, when Rondo's on the team? How does Jordan Crawford react to, to playing a role, a more minimal role again?
3: Yeah, we talked about that in in the first segment, and to me that's one of the, the most interesting storylines to play out over the next 8 to 12 weeks is, you know, when Rondo comes back, you know, what happens with, uh, with Jordan Crawford? Does he get moved? Does You know, does he make Rondo not expendable, but, but at least a, a trade more, more palatable? Or does trade he slide them. into a slightly yeah. different role? Yeah.
0: To me, I think he's definitely trade one of them because, you know, Jordan Crawford's value will never be higher than it is today or yep. in a month. And it depends what you can get for him. You know, there might be a team that really likes Jordan Crawford right now, a contending team, and maybe somebody gets hurt for that contending team going down the stretch, and you know, you can really get something for him. So I think that's certainly worth it. And I think they'll certainly explore the opportunities with Rondo once he gets back and uh, shows whether he's healthy or not.
2: Well, Jeff, speak, speaking of trades, real quick, uh, tomorrow is the day that teams can start to trade the players that they've acquired in the off season. Uh, If if I remember correctly. So what and I mentioned trading up in the draft. Is there much talk that you know of at this point in the season about trading for draft picks or uh, moving up in the draft? We've already seen Toronto shift Rudy Gay off. So they seem to be sort of giving up on their season already. Is that kind of an anomaly? Are teams trying to play hard or are they talking draft trades right now?
0: Well, I think it's hard to, to plan that way because you look at teams right now and you say to yourself, all right, if, if I'm going to trade for a draft, how do I know where this team's going to be? I mean, the Phoenix Suns are 13-9 and nine right now. I mean, the Phoenix Suns, I repeat, are 13-9 and nine right yeah, now.
2: Yeah, it's really so, so early. What
0: is, what, yeah, what does that tell you? You know, you, you may think you're trading uh, for a team that's going to be in the lottery in a, in a good spot, and right now, uh, again – you know, a lot can change. So I think you might see, you know, teams trade for draft picks in the future or, or, or try to. But to to put, you know, to trade a guy right now for, uh, I guess it's rolling the dice. I mean, that's the one thing you do right now is, you know, if, if you can, you know, Denver's 13-9 and nine right now. So, you know, do you say to yourself, hey, I'm going to roll the dice and, and try to get Denver's first-round draft pick and, and just kind of, You know, hope that the Nuggets are going to free fall in in the second half of the season because, frankly, they don't have a lot of talent. There just aren't a lot of great teams in the NBA right now. I mean, you're seeing it. You know, again, you're seeing it with the Celtics' record. You're seeing it with what the Suns are doing uh, with some of these teams and their records. And I mean, even a Lakers team that hasn't had Kobe, they're two games under 500, right on the verge of the playoffs. There's a lot of bad teams out there and a lot of mediocre players, and that's why, you know, it's funny when I hear it, this season, a lot about, well, the draft isn't that good. It's, everybody's overrating these guys, Jabari Parker and Julius Randle. And, and I say to him, well, watch the NBA, because there really aren't a lot of great players right now in the NBA. There really aren't. I mean, a lot of the, the really good ones are either hurt, uh, older, and, and we're kind of seeing a change of the guard right now. And there's a few elite ones that you know are going to come out every night. But look at what Lamarcus Aldridge is doing out in Portland. I mean, he's dominating. And nobody thought, you know, I've seen Marcus play since he was 15 years old and watched him over the years. And I, I love Marcus, but I never thought he'd be doing this and dominating NBA games and, and Portland have them in a position where they're one of the best teams in the league. Uh, he's a very good player. But, again, I think you, you watch him, you watch Dwight Howard, what he does. Is Dwight Howard really that good? No, I think it's a, there just aren't a lot of really good big guys out there. I agree there. So he just gobbles, I agree there can't score. I mean, he still can't score in the post. He's got no, no move other than overpowering people. That's all Go he ahead, does. Rich. So, anyway, that's yeah, my, my yeah. spiel for that.
3: Yeah, completely agree, Jeff. I mean, it seems like at least, you know, half or maybe even as many as three-quarters of the teams in the league aren't sure yet whether they're going to be buyers or sellers. And, yeah. you know, one of the things that seems to stand out to me is, you know, you've got some teams that clearly – seem like they have, you know, less interest in being competitive Utah, despite their record. You know, Phoenix seems to be, you know, um, trying to line up for lottery pick. And, you know, earlier you mentioned the Celtics being kind of afraid of of where they are right now and getting kind of shut out of that top six. I I wonder if if there's kind of a, a market inefficiency out there right now with so many teams pointed at this draft. Does it really make sense to, you know, ship away assets for, you know, a chance at one of these guys, particularly? if you're now bringing a 19-year-old into you know, will, will effectively be a losing environment, and you know it's it's dangerous to try to read Danny H's mind, as we all know. But I don't think he's all too eager for the Celtics to you know really bottom out and maximize the number of ping pong balls they have. If if it happens, it happens, and and you know he'll he'll deal with it. But I think he's you know really I, I love the idea that, that that you talked about you know taking a bet on a team like Denver and trying to you know make a deal to get a, a, a pick from them. That seems like the type of, of move. That you know um, has low risk, high reward, and the type of thing an age might be looking at.
0: Yeah, and I think you just continue to you know get assets, you know, stockpile assets, and those are in the draft, and uh, you kind of see what happens with some of these young guys and how they emerge. You know Jared Solinger's played well enough, you want him to be a keeper. but again, I don't think anybody is untradable on this team. nobody. I mean, you've got oh, to look really at yeah. every single person on this team and what can you get for them and, and how can you get that superstar because, frankly, that's what they are. They're, they're at least one player away from that superstar. You know, Jared Sollinger is a good piece, you know, probably a good starting four-man on a team that can, you know, give you a, a consistent, you know, 12-7 and seven on a good team, on a on a good playoff team. And, you know, Kelly Olenek can be a good first guy off the bench, I think. And, you know, Rondo, Rondo's the the key for this team, though. You know, does he buy in as a leader? Do you build around Rondo? Do you get enough? You know, can you get enough for Rondo to pull the trigger and trade him? Because if not, you have got to keep him and you have got to try to build around him. And I think right. Brad Stevens, and this is my biggest question when they hired Brad, was could he handle Rondo? Could he handle a guy like that who, frankly, has not been well liked by Tubby Smith and Doc Rivers? So could Brad who's dealt with a lot of the highest of high character kids at Butler and low maintenance kids at Butler deal with a guy like Rondo and that that's going to be the question here is can Brad just kind of you know deal with deal with him hand him the keys and let him go and will Rondo be happy and will everybody else fall in line that that'll be the interesting thing because if that's the case you might be one major piece away but if you deal Rondo well then you're kind of starting over and you're going to need you know, you're going to need a, a number one and a number two guy.
2: Right. And, uh, you know what? Stevens has passed the test so far in my eyes. He's been oh, even he's killed terrific. and he's, yeah, he's, he's not, uh, been on a roller coaster as many coaches may experience it when they first step into the NBA. He's the youngest coach in the league, but he's not showing it, Jeff.
0: He is. Listen, I know Brad probably as well as anybody from a media perspective over the years. I, I've said it for years. Um, I go there every time to Butler. When I went, I felt cleansed leaving Butler <laughs> because of Brad, because of the types of kids he brought in, because of the way they played. He, he just—I talked to Kelly O'Linick the other night about him, and I said, "What do you think so far?" He's like—he's unbelievable. You know, just how even-keeled he is, how his approach never wavers, how mature he is for his age. Brad Stevens is going to be a heck of a coach. He already is. We know that. You know, you gotta surround him with more more talent. Bottom line is he's done a great job with the hand he's been dealt, but how long can you sustain it? Now, I guess in the Eastern Conference you could probably sustain it right now. But <laughs> yeah. Right. But, but the bottom line is think of how scary it would be to have Brad Stevens with a ton of talent. To give he's never had it. He was overmatched at Butler every single year and he went to two NCAA championship games at Butler in the horizon league. Now he's got this team that, frankly, I know people get on me when I say they're not very talented, but I think you guys can agree with that. They're not. I mean, they're just not right now. Put him up against almost any other team in the Eastern Conference, and he's going in with less cards in the deck. And and somehow he's coming out on top. And I I think a lot of it is because of him, because of him and and the way he deals with these players and the way he gets them to play hard, consistent. Uh, And I think, again, he's a great X's and O's guy as well.
3: Yeah, Jeff, I think think you hit the nail on the head earlier. I mean, the Celtics, if you look at it, they've got the makings of, you know, a great four through – Eight or nine on the roster when you look at guys like Green, Bradley, Sullinger, Olinick. And then, you know, the, the, the big question is where does Rondo fit in in terms of, you know, being one of those, those top three guys and, and who else can you bring to kind of put alongside him to, you know, kind of serve as, as the focal points. And, you know, earlier you mentioned that, you know, a lot of these, um, you know, Ballyhood names at the top of the draft this year that you see as more of kind of, you know, really solid number two guys, you know, with the possible exception of Wiggins depending on his development and you know for the folks that really want to see the Celtics going to dip into that that the, the very top of the draft you know I have to wonder you know isn't it you know easier to potentially acquire that that type of number two player by other means, whether it's signing a free agent outright or whether it's taking some of these assets that you've got and kind of doing like they did in a you know, finding guys who've already proven themselves in the league, but maybe haven't been in the right situation. And, you know, Ainge, you know, seems like he really understands the importance of, of culture and having a stable organization that a guy can come in and flourish in. And that's what he's tried to create. I think with the long-term contract for a guy like Stevens. And for me, that seems like the more, um, you know, efficient way at, you know, getting the team back into contention rather than relying on, you know, bringing some 19-year-old in and expecting him to not only develop in, you know, what might be a losing situation, but, um, you know, to stick around, um, you know, past that rookie contract when, you know, he can have a real impact. Yeah.
0: I think you've got to do a combination of both. You know, I, I think right. you've got enough draft picks that you're going to have to hit it with one of these guys, and yep. you probably have Atlanta's this year uh, in your own which might both be somewhere between, you know, 12 and 20. Uh, And and I think a guy that, and I don't know their whole financial situation, but wouldn't it be interesting to see Brad Stevens reunited with Gordon Hayward and go Mm -hmm. after a guy like that? And, you know, I think he's a restricted free agent. And that's a guy, because you're not going to get LeBron. You're not going to get an elite (laughs) free agent to come here. You're just not. Not right now. And, And I've said this before. I think having Rondo hurt you in that regard. Rondo's not a relationship guy. He's not a guy that knows a lot of these players around the league that are going to come to play with Rajon Rondo. So I think that'll hurt you getting the elite guys.
2: He's got to show it on the court. Yeah, He definitely does. And I I love you bringing up Gordon Hayward. I've been mentioning his name since they played, since Utah came to Boston for game one or two in the season earlier. I, I love that kid, and I think he'd be a great fit on this team. Jeff Goodman of ESPN, thank you so much for joining us. You can follow jeff on twitter at goodman espn jeff before we let you go since you are a draft expert over there who is your number one prospect right now
0: i have jabari parker at one i'm probably in the minority i have parker at one (laughs) uh he's just so skilled and you know what you're going to get uh andrew wiggins is a higher upside the kid from kansas he's so athletic so talented but, again, I, I just love Jabari Parker's toughness, his approach, his consistency. Um, I'm not sure what you're going to get out of Wiggins down the road.
2: Thank you, sir. We appreciate the call. As always, follow him you on got it, Twitter guys. at Goodman ESPN. See you, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, guys. All right. There he goes, Jeff Goodman. That's uh, That was some great stuff from him, a lot of good insight, and uh, I, I couldn't agree more with a lot of the points he made there. Um Jamari Parker, Rich, I guess that's the guy to look at if you believe Jeff.
3: Yeah, I mean, he's definitely been impressive uh, so far earlier in the season. Uh, Julius Randle was the other guy that kind of made, kind of came out of the gate really fast. Uh, he's, he's struggled in a couple of games since then. Wiggins has been up and down, but, you know, heck, it's just turned December. It's going to change a lot between now and, and, and when the draft hits. And, you know, honestly, um, you know, I'm not sure if you're not in a better position with the number two or the number three pick this year and having a little bit of that pressure off you as it was with the Trailblazers back in the 07 draft with the Odin Durant uh, situation and, you know, not being the team forced to kind of make the call on, um, you know, do I go, do we go with Wiggins or do we go with uh, Parker and just kind of take whichever one's left over and, and, and be happy with it. And, you know, the guy that I wonder if he's going to you know, work is the two guys, I wonder if they're going to work that way into the conversation for the top spot are Exum. Uh, nobody's really seen much of him, um, you know, for the past couple of months. And I don't know if, you know as the, the the draft comes closer and teams start working out these guys you know he could be a guy that blows people away and then you've got Embiid the, the big guy and we all know how teams love size and you know the uh um you know the the, the pick back in 07 ended up being uh Odin instead of uh Durant uh, right. primarily on on the strength of him being teams a big guy love and, size yep. yeah so you know it's a long ways off but uh you know it, it it should be a very interesting draft this year with with that much talent out there
2: All right, Rich, uh, let's sort of get back into the Celtics topics, the Celtics topics that we've got going on here, and we're going to go a little bit around the NBA towards the end of the show. We've got about 20 minutes left here on Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio, uh, and since we are a Celtics based network, I have to, of course, tell you to tune into the Celtics post game show because we do that every night, and I would be a fool to not tell anyone (laughs) about this, this thing because I set the schedule. So tomorrow night. Um, I'm sorry, Monday night I screwed it up already, Monday night it will be Brandon Paul Mike Munger and Oliver Connolly over in the Celtics blog chat room here on CLNS Radio after the game against Minnesota here in Boston so definitely check that out also follow CLNS Radio on Twitter at CLNS Radio come and check us out at uh, on Facebook slash CLNS fans and I also need to give a shout out to Mr. Nick Jelso and Mr. Ty Ray, who are uh, doing a great job over there on Beats and Eats, and they've, they've gotten, gotten us hooked up with Stitcher. If you don't know what Stitcher is, go, if you have an Android phone, go to your app store and uh, download Stitcher, and you can listen to all the podcasts here on CLNS Radio and, of course, Beats and Eats. So go check that out, and, of course, vote for us on their Stitcher Awards coming up.
3: Yeah, I think Beats and Eats was a uh, featured podcast for a while on yes, uh, iTunes, and uh, I'm a uh, I'm an Apple guy, but um, you know I regularly uh, try to catch up with the uh, the Beats and Eats podcast on my uh, my iPhone and iPad. And Nick and Ty just do such a fantastic show. It's such a fun show. They do such a great job bringing in uh, real all kinds of interesting guests. Um, a lot of times with a nice '80s bent to it. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm an '80s guy, and I, you know they've had folks from t v shows and music back in the eighties, and it's always uh interesting listen
2: all right that's it for me shouting people out right now. we're going to wrap <laughs> this thing up in the next fifteen to 20 fifteen minutes or so um and let's get back into some some uh other Celtics topics and then we'll go around the n b a real quick and I'll throw a couple of things at you from around the league that's gone on in the past week or so um The Celtics in December, they have a pretty easy schedule here as far as games played is concerned. Not even looking at the opponents, they played 19 games in November, they're only playing 12 in December. They have almost a full week off uh, during Christmas week there, Rich. So what do you expect towards the end of the month here for the Celtics? Are they going to be able to pull pull off a winning streak or is it going to be tough with so few games to play?
3: Yeah, you know, it's it's going to be interesting. Um, you know, when was the last time they had that much time off around Christmas? You know, we've been used to seeing them pretty frequently right around the holiday. And it's, it's right. you know, when I looked at the schedule and saw only 12 total games in December, it just that seemed like such an anomaly uh, to me. Um, I think it'll be a good thing for them. Uh, you know, actually, I think, you know, um, Stevens, you know, clearly does a phenomenal job of preparing the team, and and you know, uh, you know, not just you know in general in terms of developing their skills, but really looking at a particular opponent and how to exploit their weaknesses and, and redirect them away from their strengths, and gosh, imagine what what he can do with, with, with all that practice time. I think that's gonna be huge, you know, particularly in a team with so many young players who are, you know, not just, you know, trying to, you know, learn a, a game plan for a given night, but are really kind of, you know, developing their skills and I think that's gonna, you know, be a have a huge impact. And, you know, honestly, they they could come out of this uh December stretch with, you know, a record at or near or even maybe a little bit over five hundred and, and in the east that puts you in a in a pretty big in a pretty good spot.
2: Yeah, they are, like I mentioned, the Minnesota game on Monday. Uh, then they are at home again for Detroit on Wednesday, home again on Saturday for Washington, and then they play their back-to-back as they travel to Indiana next Sunday, the 22nd, and that's when their their week off begins for Christmas. They have six full days off before they are back home for two games to round up December. Uh, this should be a fruitful uh schedule for the celtics in the rest of the month here i would not be surprised if they were at 500 or over 500 uh, by the end of this schedule these teams are all very beatable besides the back-to-back in indiana and from what i've seen from the celtics you never really know if this team brings their a game they might be scrapping for a win against indiana on their court and if it comes down to a last second shot It's it's the type of league that you just you never know. You just have to hang in there sometimes, Rich. So I would not write off any of these games as as losses just yet for the Boston Celtics. Um, Minnesota and Indiana, of course, being the most difficult ones.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, Indiana clearly to me they're the class of the East right now. You know, obviously Miami's a defending champion, but Indiana clearly has their sights set on that number one seed, and and you know, or just you know, just look like a team that in a lot of ways reminds me in some ways of the you know the Celtics in oh nine, two thousand ten, two thousand eleven. 2010, 2011. You know, just that that tough defense, the grind it out, the the, the mental toughness to overcome adversity. You know, so those are going to be two big benchmark games. But as you said, Celtics seem to play better against. Better competition, you know. The, the young guys seem to get up for those games. Uh, they tend to have a little bit more focus, and and so that'll be interesting. And absolutely, every other game is eminently winnable. You know, Minnesota's got talent, but they're you know in the West, but they're under five hundred right now. So, you know, it it, it should be re- really interesting. And then, of course, you know, looking forward to Rondo's return and 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 kind of how the team kind of uh, you know is mentally impacted by that should be interesting to see. And um, you know. So it, it's, it'll be an interesting month to see how the rest of it plays out.
2: All right, let's go around the NBA relatively quickly, not too quickly, but it's it's a really <laughs> – I just don't even know the word for it. I'm just going to use the word ugly, really ugly Eastern Conference, whereas obviously, again, out west, the class of the NBA is still out there. The better teams are still out there. Um, but in general – west is better but i think you said it indiana seems to be uh, one of the best teams in the league and certainly the best team in the east right now miami i still don't buy but i don't buy them any year and they they won back-to-back championships so uh i don't, I don't even want to talk about the heat but let's <laughs> let's focus away from the division a little bit because i have an interesting question for you that i've been posing to pretty much everybody the, that i've done shows with here even though i haven't been on the airwaves in the past couple of weeks but it, it's it's a strange situation because it's quite possible that the Celtics could win their division and have the ninth best record in the Eastern conference. Right now there are uh, five teams with 10 wins or more and four teams with better records than the Celtics in the East. So they could conceivably fall back a little bit and still win the division. What happens, maybe, you know, the rules, but what happens if, if that happens, if they're the ninth best team and they make the playoffs, do they still get a chance, a very albeit a small one, at the lottery and a first round playoff series?
3: No, the uh, the lottery is specifically for teams that fail to qualify for the playoffs. Um, you know, those teams are ordered in terms of the ping pong ball in inverse order of their, their records. But really, the 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 participation in the lottery is contingent on not qualifying for the playoffs. Got so it. you kind of can't have your cake and eat it too. Yeah, there, it's too bad. You know, it's it's so early, you know, in, in the east so much stuff and in the west in a lot of ways, there are so many teams that are just bunched up and, you know, over a larger sample size, I would expect, you know, some teams to you know, to to pull ahead and other teams to kind of drop back as injuries happen and whatnot. And, you know, the, the, the West I think coming into the season was, was clearly perceived to be the stronger conference, but man, it's been a worst case scenario in in the East, you know, outside of Indiana and, you know, Miami's, you know, they're, they're, they're playing about how you expect them to at this point in the Mm -hmm. season, you know, everybody else has had almost, you know, worst case scenario for, for them. You know, the bulls, of course, with D Rose suffering another injury after coming back missing, you know, a year plus, you know, you've got, um, you know, Atlanta, you know, kind of, you may playing right around where people expected them, the Nets and the Knicks being just in, in such complete disarray um, and, and really struggling to find themselves. So still a long way to go. And, you know, it would be an odd situation if, if a team like the Celtics were to win the Atlantic and make the playoffs, even though their, you know, record wasn't among the eight best in the conference. And, you know, but, you know, if it does come to pass, that. that it will probably spur a lot of the the talk that's been floating out there around, you know, just abolishing the divisions altogether and just, you know, having two conferences and top eight in each conference make the playoffs.
2: That's right. And Adam Silver, the upcoming commissioner in the middle of the season when David Stern retires, uh, February 1st, I believe it is, 2014. I think he's doing it at the beginning of the month. Could be wrong on that date, but definitely in February. Uh, has been talking about just going to straight conferences and having the top eight teams in each conference qualify and then that 's that 's it How do you feel about that
3: um I, you know i don 't know i you know i think there's an element of tradition and legacy, you know, obviously important to Celtics fans that kind of comes along with, with the, the, the concept of the Atlantic division, just kind of the old time rivalries with the Knicks and, and, and the 76ers. But, you know, even that's been watered down. I mean, you've got the Toronto Raptors there, you know, you've lost some of the rivalry that, that you had maybe with the Washington franchise before. And, you know, Hey, changes is, is sometimes good and, and, You know, I I ultimately don't think it would make that big of an impact unless they really further unbalance the schedule, Um, but it would be a change. And to me, uh, an interesting side note to that is how long it takes for Adam Silver to develop kind of the – the rabid detractors that um, David Stern has seemed to uh, kind of accrued over the years. <laughs> I'm not sure how Silver's reign is going to kind of um, uh, start out, whether he's going to be kind of perceived as uh, the good guy, you know, coming in and replacing Stern or whether, right. because he's been kind of Stern's protege, there. whether yep. he yeah, he takes on some of that, uh, that, that same enmity that uh, that Stern has uh, earned over the years from folks.
2: Well, I'm sure he will, but uh at the same time, he's already discussing changes, right? So people have to be happy with that. And while it's a small change, and uh, some people would argue it either way, I'm sure a change for the better or a change for the worse. But um, Or maybe it change, it's not going to change anything at all. Maybe that's your opinion. It's basically an inconsequential thing. But uh, I, I think just the fact that he's already discussing that is, is a good sign for the league, and it, it, we can move forward without David Stern. And as Mike Munger, one of our personalities here, would say uh the, the refs maybe they can uh open up a little bit and not start not call things for LeBron James every time
3: <laughs> yeah it's um you know while I'm no stranger to being uh enraged by the officiating you know <laughs> game uh sick yeah game uh Uh, seven of uh, 2010, you know, being the, uh, the 2010 finals being the, the classic example. I, you know, I don't buy into a lot of the the conspiracy pieces of it. I, I think at the end of the day, you know, the referees are human. Um, I think they do form relationships with players. um, And I think that does impact the way they call the games sometimes. And I think they do get caught up in kind of the, Hey, superstars have always gotten the calls. LeBron is, is no different. I think some of the difference, you know, for me is, is the way players like LeBron or Wade react to the officiating to me is, is very different than, you know, the the, the, the superstar slash referee relationships you had in, in the 80s. I think that troubles, you know, it's it's less the calls that LeBron or, or Wade get. It's more the leeway they're given by the refs in terms of reacting to calls and, and you know, the flopping and that, that bothers me a little bit more. But, um, yeah, you know, I mean, the you know, a, a new commissioner, a new leadership will always mean some change. I think Silver has had a closer relationship relationship with with stern so i don't think things think things will 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 drastically change but um you you never know he's he's his own man he's obviously clearly a very bright guy and um you know uh, you know change is a good thing because you know it's going to happen one way or the other and it's best to kind of stay in front of the changes uh in the sport and and have the league kind of react accordingly
2: All right, Rich, before we wrap this thing up, I want your opinion on something that uh, Jeff Goodman, our guest earlier, actually brought up when we were talking to him. Uh, He mentioned Dwight Howard, and sort of we glossed over it a little bit, but I kind of agree with Jeff, so I'm curious what you think. He was questioning Dwight Howard's status as a superstar, basically, uh, and is he an elite player in the league that's going to put you over the top? My answer is no. I think in Houston, if they win anything, it's going to be because of James Harden, but... Uh, that's just my opinion. What do you What do you think of what Dwight Howard has shown uh, in, in his first few, couple of months in Houston? Is, is, is are his days as a quote unquote superstar over?
3: Yeah, I think they've been over for a while. Um, I don't know if he ever really. Had the that level of impact. I mean, certainly defensively he did, but offensively, other than just being a force around the basket, you know, as as Kendrick Perkins showed, he you know he was easy to neutralize, and you know he certainly isn't you know that type of center that we saw you know when when Shaq was in his prime, or you know going back further into the the early '90s and and, and the '80s and and before that, I think he benefited from a league where you know the, there wasn't those those big physical presence to really serve as that competition for him, you know, night in, night out. This year, I think he looks better than he did last year physically. I think he's moving a little bit better, but he still doesn't have the explosion that he did early in his career. And, you know, that shouldn't be surprising. He's, you know, he's he's creeping up on 30 now and and you know, he's not the athlete he was at 21 and and I don't think most people would would expect him to be. And, you know, I think it's going to be a steep cliff for a guy like you know like Howard because his his career has been built on that explosive athleticism he's never really developed skills other than I think he's a decent communicator on defense I think he's you know a decent um, defender, you know, positionally, um, but but no one near in the class of a guy like like Garnett, who impacts the defense so much just by you know his you know knowledge of of how to shade guys and how to you know cut down the angles and whatnot, even if he isn't the physical presence he once was. But you know, I mean, it's it's only going to get worse for Howard from here on out. And I'm with you, you know. I think if Houston is going to make some noise, it's really going to be, you know a function of, of Harden taking his game to another level and, and Howard kind of being the, the kind of superstar in name, but really a second banana. And, you know, that's honestly, that's, that's, I think why Howard found his way to, to Houston was, you know, I think he saw it as an opportunity to kind of keep that stature as, you know, a frontline, you know, alpha dog player while really being the sidekick to, to a, you know, quieter, more unassuming guy and, and James Harden.
2: All right, Rich, before we wrap it up, I want to, of course, mention that uh, Jared Weiss is back in the Celtics locker room for CLNS Radio, as he was last year, and he's producing the Garden Report. It's awesome stuff. You can go and uh, check it out on our YouTube page, slash CLNS Radio. So definitely go see that. Uh, He does it every home game. It's good stuff. So, Rich, you got anything else you want to throw out there before we say see you later?
3: No, I just tell the fans to, uh, you know, obviously Jared does a great job in the garden report and, you know, hey, it's going to be an interesting uh, couple of weeks once uh, Rondo comes back and then leading up into the February trade deadline. I think, you know, Jeff really hit the nail on the head talking about, you know, figuring out where Rondo fits with this franchise as being the, the single biggest question in terms of what direction they go with the rebuild. Is he going to be, you know, is he going to develop into a leader or not? And, you know, the, I hold out hope. Um, if for no other reason than to me if Kevin Garnett respects a guy and loves a guy the way he does Rondo um, I I think you know the potential is there for that guy to be a leader you know if somebody has problems with Rondo I would wonder if their priorities are in the right place Um, because I think you know while his methods may not always be great and he may, may may need to grow up quite a bit in terms of how he expresses it that desire to win is there and the intelligence is there and All right, those Rich. are the, the biggest things in my mind.
2: All right, Rich. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Matt. For Rich Conti, I am Matt Rury. Thanks for listening to Celtics Beat. Thank you to Jeff Goodman from ESPN for being our guest today. We're out of here.